It's Rhonda's birthday. It's a bonus for my birthday. B -b 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 bonus. Bonus up. Bonus up. There we go. There we go. Well, welcome to welcome. our bonus bonus episode. You know, I feel like we don't take new listeners into account very often. Yeah. And maybe we should. So maybe we should just explain just for anyone who, you know, is is a new listener mm -hmm. or like maybe this is the first episode of ours that you're ever listening to. Just, you know, for bonus episodes, uh, these are different. Yeah. From our regular episodes. Yeah. And, you know, I guess you might be able to term this particular episode a geek out. Yeah. In some ways, though it's not going to be like a typical geek out. And you know what? Maybe I shouldn't have even mentioned geek outs because that might just that might have just completely confused you. I'm very sorry. She's very sorry. I'm very happy you're here. We're both happy you're here. And we're both sorry, let's be honest. Yes. <laughs> but if this is your first time listening in, hi, hello, we're Pop DNA. Erin, <laughs> um, how would you describe what we tip, what like the idea behind our bonus episodes is? So the idea behind, so our reg, I guess to define a bonus, I would have to define the regular. So our regular okay. episodes. Sure, fair enough. Our regular episodes were tracing the literary, psychological, historical, scientific roots of all of your favorite media, mostly, you mm -hmm. know, television or um, movies and books as well. Yeah, we do books. Although the books that we do almost always have film or television adaptations. Yeah. Yeah. To yeah. be fair. But yeah. So then a <laughs> And there's also a few different types of a bonus. So a That's true. a birthday bonus, as it is Rhonda's birthday, the birthday human gets to select their topic. And then we do a deep dive into that topic. And it's more mm -hmm. of, I would say it's more of um, a freeform discussion sometimes with those little true. pieces popped in of, you know, intelligence and smarts. Yeah, well, and I would say also in a birthday bonus, as is true for this one, the the birthday person goes into it with kind of a question or yeah. a, even even like a thesis, you might say, about their topic, and we explore that. Yeah, together. So that's what a birthday bonus is, but. But you are correct. We do have other types of bonuses. We have a bonus for Mindy Kaling. We do. Well, that's it. So we have an anniversary uh, or a potiversary bonus that is is usually a geek out. Yeah, I would say. And then we the past couple years we've been doing like a January beginning of the year bonus mm -hmm. that like recaps the previous year right. in TV and movies in some way. And we've also done bonuses that look at like a genre like we did our yes, um, that's true. gothic horror mm -hmm. kind of genre exploration. So I think it's kind of, I, I would say a bonus is maybe 
a deeper dive into something we might have covered in one of our regular episodes. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of our like magnifying glass. It's episode. something more specific. Yeah. More focused, perhaps. Yeah. So I don't know if you needed a four and a half minute explanation of what a bonus episode is, my friends, but you got one. But maybe you do. Maybe you did. <laughs> You know, I think it's good every once in a while to take stock of our, of, you know, uh, our, um, our culture as a podcast. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. Um, It's a very small culture, but everyone is welcome. But a culture nonetheless. So (laughs) that's true. So Rhonda, what's our topic for today? So today, I still have to come up with, like, a title for this episode. Because, like, the one that I have in our notes is way too long. But I love it. We'll we'll talk about it. So I want to talk about women and power in fantasy media. Yeah. So I'm talking superpowers. I'm talking magic. I'm talking... Maybe, maybe not like a supernatural or magical or superpower necessarily, but like an out of the ordinary kind of power. Yeah. That a woman in this piece of media possesses and what the relationship is like between her power and how her femininity is expressed. Yeah. So that's what we're going to be looking at. And so I want to give just like a little bit of background about how I sort of came to this exploration or this thesis or research question or whatever. So uh, this is kind of something that I've been thinking about and like... This idea has, has, you know, been explored within culture and media for quite some time. I'm not the first person to think of this. I know, you're, you're shocked. <laughs> but I kind of came into this, this idea of this relationship, or like really started to think about it a lot, when my, my TikTok mutual, Holly, um, shout out to Holly if you're listening, Holly posted a video on TikTok about her reaction to the ending when she com- when she finished reading the Shadow and Bone trilogy. Uh-huh. And her kind of reaction was like why did Alina have to give up her power? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and like you know, there's plenty of t- of discussion to be had around this. Oh, spoilers, by the way, if you haven't read. Oh, sorry. <laughs> the Whatever. Shadow and Bone trilogy. Anyway, so yeah, like we can definitely like have a whole discussion about that. Aside from the discussion I actually want to have. <laughs> but... <laughs> But, like, that kind of got me thinking. I, I, like, stitched her video and did a response where I talked about some thoughts that I had about, like, other female protagonists in big media franchises who are basically kind of forced to 
sacrifice either their power like Alina does yeah or they have to if they want to keep their power they have to sacrifice like some like element or symbol of their femininity so like an example that I used was Wanda Maximoff in WandaVision she watches Vision die for like quote unquote for real and then she also has to give up like that other version of him (laughs) that she created so like she has to give up that sort of aspect of her femininity like that kind of romantic um, aspect of her femininity twice in order to essentially in order to kind of claim her status as a woman with power because it's once she gives that up that she claims her identity as the Scarlet Witch at the end of WandaVision. Yeah. Yeah. So and and I also use the example of Diana in Wonder Woman 1984. Well, and really in the first Wonder Woman movie as well, she gives up Steve twice. (laughs) She gives up her love interest twice. I mean, the second time is kind of weird and kind of sketchy, but (laughs) (laughs) I mean, essentially, that's what happens. And the movie Wonder Woman 1984 kind of frames that choice or that like kind of dichotomy between this you know, happiness that is sort of a symbol of her femininity and, like, choosing between that and her power and her status as Wonder Woman. Like, the movie frames that choice as, like, inevitable and, like, a foregone conclusion that, like, she can't have both. That's against the laws of the universe or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And that made me really angry. And so... (laughs) Yeah. That whole movie... Yeah. Um, yeah we'll get it we can yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I kind of started this exploration through that lens through um, that shadow and bone WandaVision Wonder Woman 84 and then of course started um, as I kind of started exploring and thinking about this idea I started seeing that come up in more and more fantasy media with a female protagonist that she's almost always forced to make this sacrifice, to make this choice between her power and her femininity. Absolutely. In the midst of this exploration, I saw a video essay called The Violence Binary by Wit and Folly, which was incredible. Incredible. Yeah, so good. Um, Aaron just watched it today. What did you think? <laughs> oh my goodness. I I just I was so taken by the specific examples that were being used of oh my goodness, I can't th- I can only think of Ray's name in hmm. in um Star Wars. Well, she and ca- she contrasts Ray with Padme yes. in the prequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I thought was such a great like almost parallel that didn't quite hit the mark yeah Yeah, and like how the things that Padme gets to do and the things that Rey does not get to do and what that means for how we write it was just it was an amazing amazing video oh my goodness 
I feel like I need to watch it again to like fully absorb everything. And when they discuss the way that that Ray ultimately dies, you know, mm-hmm. like we could not have her be powerful. She had to die within the context. Right. Like it's just So in this video, the essayist cites a book called The Violent Woman by Hilary Neroni, which I of course then had to buy. And, yeah. <laughs> and read. I didn't read all of it. I read, like, I think I read, like, two or three chapters that I felt like were really relevant to this discussion. So the book is called The Violent Woman, Femininity, Narrative, and Violence in Contemporary American Cinema. And so the description that is given like by the publisher, says that in The Violent Woman, Hilary Neroni brings psychoanalytically informed film theory to bear on issues of femininity, violence, and narrative in contemporary American cinema. Neroni explores why American audiences are so fascinated, even excited, by cinematic representations of violent women and what these representations reveal about violence in our society and our cinema. Which is, like, so smart. Um, she talks about uh, Sarah Connor in Terminator a lot, which is, which is great. Yeah, um, sure. <laughs> so, Neroni's use of the term violent, like the violent woman, highlights, like, a much broader pattern in media than I am interested in exploring in this discussion. But I do think that a lot of her thesis like a lot of her like her argument can also be applied to like the specific kind of power that I want to explore sure Um, so like most of my which we'll we'll get into like my list of examples here in a little bit but most of my examples of powerful like women with powers you know superpowers magic whatever most of them use that power often to enact violence in some way or another. So I would say that most of these women that I have as as examples can be termed a violent woman by Neroni's definition. So I think that this framework will work for discussing what I'm interested in exploring. Absolutely. Yeah, I think as I was watching it, I was just so and this is, you know, the obvious thought as you're watching it. But there are so many celebrated films where men are violent, Mm -hmm. like they're fully celebrated. These are action heroes, right? And then a violent woman is just seen entirely differently. Yeah. That sounds like I'm just reading the Cliff's Notes <laughs> argument of the thing, but I was just it's a simple it's a simple truth, but it's also the more you think about how true that is, the more I think it sets in and the right. more that you really let it marinate that these gender roles are so inherent to this discussion. I don't know. I just Yeah. Well, and I think Yeah, like, you're absolutely right. So, like, this is kind of something that, like, Neroni posits is that, like, violence is expected of men in these these kinds of stories. And what you were saying about how violent men are viewed very differently from violent women, that is true of 
audiences and of our culture, but it's also true of the actual narratives that they are within. Yeah. The narrative around a violent man, you know, in a, yeah. what, whether it's a movie, a TV show, whatever, like is going to form itself around him very differently and take him on a very different journey than it will a violent woman most often. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think another thing that that the video essay brought up that I would love to explore a little bit as well is when it's clear that a narrative has inserted a violent woman but is just treating her the same way that they would a violent man so they're giving her like very like traditionally masculine coded qualities so that she essentially just becomes like basically a male action hero but with female quote-unquote biological female parts Right. That's another thing that she brings up that I think is really interesting. Maybe not directly related to what we're talking about here, but I do think that 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 happens pretty often. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, well. I just can't, like, I also just sit here thinking about how both of these things are dangerous to both men and women. Both of these ideas are so toxic to female and male identifying people it just I don't want to have when I spoke earlier I hope I didn't sound as though like women or male action heroes should be blamed or any way like hold the blame for it because they're just as put into it as yeah as female and identifying people are you know like patriarchy hurts everyone Yeah, Yeah. we are all affected by this. And I just wanted to put that out there as well. Mm -hmm. So I do have quite a list of examples. Is there any in particular that you feel like we should explore? (laughs) I would just want to know which one you're the most excited to jump off with. Yeah. Since the video essay used the example of Rey from Star Wars, maybe we could start there. Yeah. And I still have like a lot of unresolved issues. <laughs> yeah. With the ending of Ray's story. Uh but yeah, let's explore this a little bit. So in the video essay The Violence Binary, she actually opens the the essay with um the visual of Padme's funeral from Revenge of the Sith and then she contrasts that with the visual of Ben Solo holding Ray's dead body in yeah. in The Rise of Skywalker. And, you know, like you said, like, she highlights how in Padme's case, yes, like, her death is very tragic and, like, I kind of don't feel like it needed to be part of the narrative. But <laughs> the yeah. way that her death is framed it it allows for like a catharsis because yeah. of how Padme has been framed as a character in complement with Anakin throughout the throughout the prequel trilogy. Yeah. And then we have like essentially Ray's death scene 
And yes, like, she comes back to life. But, like, in essence, Ray's death is a consequence of, in a sense, like, her own rejection of femininity, which is really, really... I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then also, like, as she goes on in the video essay to point out, like, Ray comes back to life because Ben gives up his life force. But then Ben dies, who, like, was set up as Ray's romantic interest. And now, like, Ray is alone and has given up another aspect of her femininity right to sort of be this solitary powerful woman and the movie frames that as if it's like a good like a happy thing Hmm. and it uh, i still okay i just you know had to air all of my raylo grievances yeah but yeah it's i don't like it (laughs) I don't either. (laughs) Yeah. Well, have I talked about that enough? Probably not. I am working on, I am working on a Regency Ray cosplay for (laughs) Comic-Con. Yeah. (laughs) That'll be fun. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just, I keep just thinking about the way that the video, like you mentioned, the way that the video positions the two, like images of the two deaths right next to each other and just like they're just strikingly different Mm -hmm. they're just like i just we're gonna have to unpack Mm. that for a long time yeah we'll have to we'll have to unpack it i am sensing another star wars another star wars a star wars series a star Mm -hmm. yeah we'll have to talk to girls with sabers again yeah i love them yeah yeah i love they're them amazing. um yeah. yes well should can can we move on from this yes <laughs> all right um what should we talk this about is, next <laughs> this is like at a birthday party where you have to pick which present to open next. which <laughs> one really do you is. want to open which character do you want to open next <laughs> what do you what do you want to talk about Well, I was just looking at this list here, and I was just looking at The Hunger Games. Should we go into that? The Hunger Games. Yes. So this is really interesting because I think that I do want to talk a little bit, like, at some point about works that actually break this pattern. Because I think it could be argued that Hunger Games, The Hunger Games ultimately does break this pattern okay because we of course we have like Katniss is like textbook violent woman like sure 100 percent and she also like I would say that she has maybe like a she has like a pretty even mix I think of feminine like traditionally feminine and traditionally masculine qualities yeah yeah. But she definitely fits into that, like, the violent woman. But she's also very, like, she's very nurturing. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, is very, like, maternal toward her sister and toward yeah. Rue and toward, like, other um, children that she comes across. And so, like, I think that is definitely, like, that kind of keeps her from 
becoming like that. Like, was it in uh, that article that I found about um, Jupiter ascending that's like Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> with boobs? That's <laughs> like, right. Like, that keeps Katniss from becoming this sort of just like, like yeah. they just took the typical male action hero and made it a girl. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, where was I going with this? Katniss is a violent woman. But, so this is really interesting. I, there's a whole section in Neroni's book where she talks about romantic love and the violent woman. So she says, one of the most glaring similarities between contemporary films featuring violent women is that the almost requisite romantic union with which so many Hollywood films conclude does not occur. Violent women are usually alive, but left on their own at the end of these films. This suggests how difficult it is for Hollywood, the greatest of ideology machines, to integrate the violent woman into its typical narrative structure. This absence of romance, especially in so many mainstream Hollywood action films, is somewhat astounding considering the rate at which heterosexual couples usually end up in a romantic union in most Hollywood films. Yeah. So this, you know, kind of gives us an insight into why, like, the Star Wars people thought that Rey needed to be alone. Yeah. Um, But also, Katniss does not fit into this pattern because she, I mean, the books make it clear, and I think the movie makes it clear as well, that it's like many years later that she and Peta do eventually decide yeah. to get together and have children. But still, she breaks that pattern because she, she you know, ends up with a romantic interest. And she also, yeah. full, like, steps into a very traditionally feminine role by becoming a wife and a mother and basically right. just spending the rest of her life, like raising her family yeah yeah it's almost it's almost like hollywood is realizing that (laughs) different humans can have different not only different phases of their lives but can also fit into both narratives you know it's you can be strong on your own and also a violent woman and also eventually um, have a family Mm -hmm. and be a good nurturing uh, mother you know it's you you can be all things well and I think that so I so a couple of things a couple of thoughts about how and why the Hunger Games breaks this pattern so first of all it is based on books Um, it's based on a series of YA novels and I had this thought in here that in books like in fiction especially fiction that is written and or marketed for a primarily female audience we do see a little more flexibility in this pattern and like in many cases a lot of flexibility in this in this pattern so there is that consideration that like this was based originally on a work of source material and if they had changed the ending for the movie like that fan base would not be happy right so no so yeah so i think that that was in its favor 
And then I also think that the Katniss Peta relationship is really, it's really interesting. And I think it's really unique in that Katniss takes on the more violent role in, uh, you know, like Katniss is the one who like, so usually Neroni kind of gets into this that like usually you have a heterosexual relationship where the man is the violent one and the woman is the one who needs to like be protected by the man's violence. Mm-hmm. So in Katniss and Peeta, that's flipped around. And Peeta is the more yeah. gentle and more peaceful partner. And Katniss is the one who is um, kind of the protector role. So, yeah, interesting. (laughs) We've actually been studying this in my family and intimate relationships class that I'm in. The Hunger Games? The Hunger Games? No, those roles, um, kind of those, how those roles and how we see those roles that you mentioned just now, how the, the role that we have identified as maybe the role of the of the man in the relationship versus the role in the of the woman in the relationship how that has been changing and growing in society and and how it's not changed that much and mm. kind of looking at that dichotomy between we are moving away from hopefully soon we're moving away from those gender specific labels for them and yet we still cling so much to having it be gender separated even today in popular psychology so how we as a field are going to move past that anyway that's a tangent but no I love it It's really just interesting to me because I'll be reading my textbook and it will say like, this is a male oriented trait or skill. Mm. And this is a female oriented trait or skill. And then my professor will have to say, okay, but no, this is the textbook. This is the textbook (laughs) that we have, unfortunately. But when you read male, like, yeah, it codifies it still. And this was written, this was newly, uh, like a a new version was published in 2022 that still codifies that. Yeah, it still codifies it as a male trait and a female trait. And it's just um, something that that our our society really needs to think deeply about. Right. And, And I think like can talk about kind of like, quote unquote, traditionally masculine traits versus traditionally feminine traits. And I I do try to be like really careful about like phrasing it that way, because like insofar as there are masculine and feminine traits, it's because men and women have been socialized that way, right? Absolutely. So, like, yes, we do see in the real world, we do see patterns where these are traits that we mostly see in men and these are traits we mostly see in women. But it's not because those traits are inherently male or female traits. We're taught. we've We've been taught, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good point to bring up, though. I totally derailed us. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's ju- I think that is it is important to kind of... Because, I mean, like, this whole discussion really is, like... 
it's kind of binary, sort of by necessity, because that's the framework that's been provided. But it is important to acknowledge that, like, gender is fake. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. So, and, and we're, you know, we use gendered terms because that's the framework and that's kind of the real, that's the reality is that like the world sees us as gendered. We experience the world as gendered people, even though gender isn't real. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I love that you brought that up though. That's yeah. Well, and Neroni uses like psychoanalysis to go into a lot of her, her discussions too. So yeah, absolutely. It's still within our thread here. Which, what should we, are we done with the Hunger Games? What should we talk about next? Hmm. I chose that last one. What do you feel like next? Yeah. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> you know what? I feel like watching the world burn. So let's talk about Black Widow. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, I loved that movie. Oh my goodness. <sighs> that movie was great. It should have come out about seven years sooner. Sure. And, you know, I think because it came out, like, so it came out after we already saw Natasha die in Avengers Endgame. Right. Um, we saw her sacrifice herself for a man. Yeah. Uh, 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 yeah, no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> and also, like, the whole franchise has treated her horribly. Yeah. So, like, I'm thinking specifically of, we do find out that in, like, when she was, you know, a part of the Widows, that they they give all of them hysterectomies. Yeah. So she no longer has a uterus, and yeah. that's a very literal um representation of sacrificing her femininity if we're thinking of it in you know these kind of biological binary um terms and i think we actually we actually find that out in avengers age of ultron when she tells Mm. bruce banner that hey like i don't have a uterus Wow. I can't have children, and that's why we can't be together. Like, what? <laughs> um. and, and whenever whenever that's discussed in the franchise, and whenever I hear that, I just so deeply worry about that as an idea even for this character. I like, it's the actual removal. It just feels... Yeah. It feels so raw and so invasive. It just makes me just makes me really, really cringe pretty deeply. Yeah. So yes, these are the widows are violent women who have literally had like a physical marker of their yeah. um, of their biological femininity forcibly taken away from them they didn't even choose to sacrifice it yeah and i mean like you don't have to have a uterus to be a woman like right of course yeah like say that um yes of course but like on like kind of a symbolic level 
the symbolism of taking an assigned female at birth person's uterus away from them is like you're taking the ability to you know carry life and give birth which you know is again is not like the definition of a woman absolutely but in this kind of like mythological or like kind of storytelling um space like the woman as life giver is very much an archetype right (laughs) i think it's also making that decision like it's it's no longer a decision about an action or a decision about like a life choice or how they're going to use that power which is which is awful it's right. an invasion of your physical body, right? Mm-hmm. It's rem- it's the removal of something inherent in your in your body. It's you know, it's like without any permission, without consent, without it's that consent versus versus non-consent. It's right. deeply not traumatic doesn't even seem like a a, a strong enough word. It's just it's a removal, you know? Yeah. And then in this case, once that, that like, symbol of femininity is removed, they are then forcibly also made into, like, violent women. They are made into weapons. Yeah. Um, so it's it's rough, man. So, yes, like, I really loved the movie Black Widow. But there's a twinge of, there's, like, a, uh, you know, like a tinge of, of bitterness with it. So, yeah, it, it just makes me think, too, of like conditioning someone to be violent. And this is trigger warning. If this is uncomfortable mm. for you, you know, by all means, do what you need to to go to a safe space to stop the recording. Yeah. Um, we understand this is a very sensitive topic, but I'm I'm thinking about you only get to certain levels of violence once you've inflicted certain certain elements of trauma right like Mm -hmm. sometimes the human brain and the human body cannot go to a certain level of violence without having had a certain level of of like a trauma experience to drive them there in some cases so thinking about this as a way to get them there to get them to be more and more violent right is just chilling to me it's a learned response sometimes i think this like kind of relates pretty directly to Yennefer from The Witcher. Absolutely. And her, you know, this the idea of, like, giving up or, you know, forcibly having taken from you the, like, the physical ability to bear children, yeah. um, to be a mother, which is, you know, like, a very traditional kind of symbol of femininity in order to, like have this measure of power or this ability um, to inflict violence. Yeah. Um, it's sort of, you know, having that violence, that very specific violence inflicted upon oneself yeah. in order to then gain the ability to do violence, if that makes sense. 
there are also concerns centering around ableism with Yennefer. Mm, absolutely. She is told there is one specific way to live your life and there is one specific way to be able versus the very most toxic and traumatic use of the word disability, right? So mm-hmm. she's very much given that narrative and she physically changes herself. For, for no other reason except to be in the male gaze. Mm. She changes. And then after going through that deeply traumatic, toxic change, she goes through this second traumatic change that you've just mentioned. It's like trauma after trauma for Yennefer. Mm-hmm. And honestly, to get where? To get to the same glass castle that they put Ray Mm -hmm. in, you know? To get where? She gets to be strong. and She gets to be one version of strong that she's told is the best way to be. And she's alone. You know, she she does have her relationship with Geralt, but they're both, they're that doomed relationship, right? They can never actually be together. There are Mm -hmm. things in their world that keep them both in their separate castles, their separate kind of fortitudes. But I just, yeah, uh, Yennefer goes through two different types of of traumatic removal of an identity, right? She goes through this yeah really toxic definition of of what we should be and what we should not be two different times and it's just wow I just want to hug her you know she's Mm. one of my favorites (laughs) I would hug her but I feel like she would probably hurt me Um. sure no yeah um Mm. but (laughs) but you know I think they're like if we can make a distinction that like she does choose both of these transformations herself. Interesting. But is it really a choice? Right. When she is, you know, within this society that is telling her that there is only this one way for you to have value as a person. Yeah. And if that's the only message you're ever hearing, like, what are you going to choose if you're what given the choice? What would you choose? Well, right? Yeah. Honestly, it's yeah, it's how we're conditioned, and we're we're still in it, ladies and gentlemen. You know, like we're still right. we're still getting these messages every day. I really want to read more of the like text of The Witcher. Um, mm-hmm. I know most of the story through the video games and also through the movies and a few of the texts, but I really want to read because there's also like a myriad of um, short stories uh, as well. So I really want to dive even deeper because I think Yennefer is one of my favorites. Yeah. Well, based on the the portions of the text I have read, I think that the TV series is really I would I I don't want to say improving but I would say is kind of transcending the text in terms Great. of how the TV series presents women and presents okay women's agency yeah. and yeah I mean the the books and the stories are very much in that kind of 
I mean, like, they're from, what, like, the late 80s, early 90s. They're yeah. very much in that, like, that that's that's the time that they're from, you know? Sure. Um, Absolutely. And they were written by a man, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, they they are very well written, like. I'm glad that the, that the TV show is doing something other than that, you know? That's yeah. really good. It def- I think it, like, 100%. Um, is due to the TV series having a woman as the showrunner. Absolutely. Um, yeah. For sure. It makes a difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, where is where are we going from here? Where from here? Do we want to wander? Hmm. Let me. Of course, now my scroll bar is not working. Here we go. Uh oh. Computers, dang it. Scroll bar. <laughs> Let's, you know what, because we just had a bar, a bar for squirrels. Yeah, they, they, (laughs) yeah. Can you imagine all the squirrels like in a bar, like drinking their little, their little beers or their little cocktails? I, I really like, I like this a lot. I like the squirrel bar idea. (laughs) I like like this squirrel bar idea. Let's run with it. (laughs) Let's go. Let's go right now. Do you want to talk about Jupiter ascending? Do we need to take oh, a, a silly break? <laughs> yes. Can we talk about Jupiter ascending? Because um, this is a this is another work that kind of breaks the pattern. And we talked about I talked at length about Jupiter ascending in our final uh, Matrix episode. Yeah. Um, so, like, Jupiter, you know, she gets to, like, be a space princess and have yeah. a hot space werewolf boyfriend. I mean, that's the dream. Yes, it is the dream. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the dream. It's the dream. There can only be one the dream. Yes. You can't have more than one. There's only one kind the of dream. Like, kind of like Highlander. Um, so Exactly. We- <laughs> What is the Highlander franchise doing these days? Are we going to do anything else with that? Anyway. I mean, probably um, always, but yeah. I hope so. I would love that. Okay. Well, Jupiter Ascending, I feel like, you know, you should just go listen to to our our fourth um, Matrix yeah. episode because I... T- cuz I think like a lot of what I what I, of what I talked about really ties in here. Where, like, you know, Jupiter is, like, she is unapologetically, like, traditionally feminine. Like, those are the qualities that that she has. And, you know, like, she, I don't, she doesn't have, like, magic powers or superpowers. But she does have, like, political power in space. And, And she, you know, she gets to live this sort of feminine power fantasy yeah yeah and it's it's uh yeah it's go. <laughs> also just go watch this movie it's Absolutely. wow 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 uh, it's a masterpiece <laughs> it is there's there's bees in it there's bees and the bees can sense royalty yeah it's, <laughs> and it's boromir and ned stark um, both. Yeah, both of them. Yeah. Did he? Oh, and he doesn't die. Wait, does he? 
Does he die? Oh, I don't Does remember. Sean Bean die in Jupiter Ascending? Oh. I don't remember. <laughs> it's been so long. <laughs> he probably does because he dies in everything. Sure. I'm going to no, Google it. Yeah. <laughs> Googling. Does Sean Bean die in Jupiter Ascending? Yeah. Huh? Does he? Sean Bean lives in Jupiter Ascending. He lives. He lives. Yay. This is from uh, the rare times Sean Bean doesn't die. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. And one of them is Jupiter Ascending. See? Good. Everyone, yes. Everyone Good. benefits. Everyone yes. benefits from the feminine gaze. From the fe- Absolutely. <laughs> All right, where okay. do we want to go from Jupiter? Yeah. Where do where are we going from? I don't think it's gonna get any better than this. <laughs> no, probably not. Who do you want to talk about next? Oh boy, um, I feel like we. I kind of already said what I wanted to say about WandaVision and Wonder Woman. Yeah. yeah. Um. Do we want to talk about the Game of Thrones ladies? The, or do you want to do you want to talk about Wheel of Time? Yeah, why don't we do Wheel of Time Let's and then do Game Wheel of, of Time and then Game of Thrones? Perfect. So friends, <laughs> I am currently I'm I have not picked up a book because it's the end of the school year and it's all going down. But um, going I am down, on book down, four down, in an earlier down, round. We're going down, going swinging. down, swinging. Okay. Um, Sorry. Anyway, follow up boy break. I mean, always. Yeah. <laughs> our um, our union has specific demands, and mm-hmm. we have to have a follow up boy break. Um, so Wheel of Time. I'm currently on the fourth book in the series, and I am obsessed. And a spe- uh, specifically in this conversation that we're having, there are two, like, kind of powerful groups of women that are a part of the Wheel of Time kind of infrastructure, right? So there's, so there's the Aes Sedai, who contain the power. They are the sorceresses. They are very much the magic in the world, Um and there are many, and the the their magic power is co- are deemed to be in different um, different sections depending on what you can do with your power. Mm. And all of the different types of power are called ajas. So you have blue aja, green aja, yellow aja, red aja, white aja gray aja and brown aja (laughs) and each of them does a specific thing but it also means that you at least my reading of it is that it also means you're concentrated on a different like not moral ground but kind of you're thinking about a different type of justice maybe Mm, or a different type of kind of problem solving like like when you're a lawyer and you decide to practice different oh, types of sure, law sure, sure. Okay. that thing um like space law which is what like, i would do yeah. <laughs> space law space yes law. perfect i'm a space lawyer 
Oh, I I mean, yes. You're like be- the better. I am the better call Saul of space. Wait, hold on. Anyway. New TV show idea. Space lawyer. Space lawyer. Somebody write that down. <laughs> space lawyer. Perfect. Okay. Um, <laughs> so this power is so incredibly important that it's what broke the world and created this new time loop this new wheel of time if you Mm. will this new this new weave in the wheel of time sorry the wheel of time is the whole thing and then this new kind of turn of the wheel i thought we had to break the wheel but you also should never reinvent the wheel (laughs) always important so the most important thing about these Aes Sedai that you learned from page one is that they are women who are feared and hated. Hmm. These are the most powerful women in the entire galaxy. And they, you are conditioned to hate them hmm. for no, for no other reason, but that they're powerful women. The other really important thing here is that men cannot wield the power a man cannot be an eyes to die and it goes into actually a really interesting conversation um, I think this is something that Robert Jordan does really well is that he has this conversation about these power dynamics that we're talking about here so it's very much the lead character uh, or sorry the the your kind of point of view character at the very beginning um, is male identifying and he can wield the power. And so he goes through this process of um, having to come to terms with the fact that he wields a power that he is not supposed to wield. And only Mm -hmm. like these powerful women um, kind of um, are the only ones who are said to safely be able to wield the power. It's a whole conversation on power dynamics. Um, and kind of why both of these things are really toxic to both sides. I think it does a nice job of thinking about that toxicity element. Mm. But all to say that women, the Aes Sedai, can only be women, and these women are hated mm. in society. Okay, It's, it's the same as um, saying someone like... People like somebody use who works ICE... for the IRS. Like... Ex- Exactly. Um, And I just, even if you decide that you're like, so you can't just decide to be an Aes Sedai, you have to have the power. Mm -hmm. But people are fully told, do not pursue this. Even if you have that power, do not go and learn this Mm. really intricate skill um, because it's going to change your life forever. Um, and people will hate you. It's really um, an interesting conversation there. And then there's also a governing um, organization, not organization, but a governing group of, of women called the Wisdom. Mm. And the Wisdom are the people who run each of the cities or the towns, um, not in like a governmental traditional sense of running, but but more they're they're in charge of the major decisions that towns okay. make. They're part of a circle that also heals the entire 
town and makes important decisions for its inhabitants and kind of um, they all wear long braids to symbolize how long they've been a part of the wisdom. Um, and these women have a connection with nature and otherworldly connection with nature. And they sometimes wield the power and become Aes Sedai, but sometimes they stay as wisdom and run the towns. They are not hated. They are revered and very much mm. like loved. Okay. Um, I just needed to tell you all that. Yeah. So what would you say is like the relationship between, um, between like the power of the Aes Sedai and their femininity? Absolutely. So, um, I would say that's where, um, it's kind of neat. The piece does, um, delve into the femininity of the power. It's very much, um, it sometimes it is related to like a sensuality or a sexuality okay. in kind of a neat way. Um, it's very much, I think, similar to um, embracing femininity okay. more so than kind of walking um, like walking away from it. Um, yeah, in kind of a neat way, in kind of like a. Um, yeah, an embracing of that sensuality. Uh-huh. Kind of like I would encourage everyone to read these books. I've been telling to our book club to so- read them for <laughs> so long. But so yeah. but like within this society they are villainized, right? Yeah. So I think that that's an interesting thing to note about like the violent woman or the powerful woman in media is that like she can retain femininity if that's then like if she's like a femme fatale yeah right so i think that's um so like because the Aes Sedai are kind of like because they're feared and hated within their society i don't so like how i guess i guess the more important question is like how does the narrative portray them are they villains within the narrative as well or how, how very, is that the, so the cool thing is that that everyone gets a point of view character so you side with them you see their and there's so many there are evil Aes Sedai within um, but there's also um, like not villainous Aes Sedai who are trying to save the world as a whole. It's it's very it's really neat because you also get to learn how they become Aes Sedai and you get to go through the training process with them. Um, and so it's very like in the in the narrative, you're kind of you side with them and you it it all ah, words. Once mm-hmm. you get to the fourth book, you're very much training with them. So you mm. kind of get to become one yourself in a okay. new way. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. I'm excited to see where the TV series goes. Because I will tell you right now, I'm never going to read those books. But, um... <laughs> well... <laughs> You don't even need to because you got me. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I got you and the t- and the TV show is like really good. So, 
I haven't. I didn't. I got afraid of spoilers, so I stopped watching. Well, but the, um, the first season only covers the first book. I'm pretty sure, so you wouldn't be spoiled re- for later books. <laughs> I read on some guy's blog that it was going to cover see like certain elements up to book five, oh, and I was like, okay. I'm out. I can't do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that's just this, silly. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry that I talked about Wheel of Time for so long. What should we talk um, about next? Well, we did say we were going to go on to Game of Thrones next. Ooh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we've got, like, I mean, I just, I gave four examples of yeah. of women characters. That, but, I mean, there's, there are several more, I think, that we could fit into this conversation. But, um, yeah. so I just named... Daenerys, Sansa, Arya, and Cersei. Um, you know what? We could also put in um, like Melisandre and like what happens. Absolutely. What ultimately happens to. Okay, so just fair warning I've only read the first book, but I've seen all of the TV series. So I'm going on like yeah. the, how there's how these women's stories turn out in the tv series um yeah 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 yeah. sure um so yeah i like we could put melisandre in there as well yeah um oh my gosh okay so sansa is my favorite character i love her and i think that like (sighs) i think that we as a culture are kind of done with game of thrones (laughs) Sure, sure. <laughs> because of how terrible the last season was. But anyway, I think Sansa is a really interesting character to talk about within this idea of like the relationship between power and femininity. So yeah. she has that. Uh, do you remember how she has that that scene? I think at some point in the last season, she's talking to Tyrion. I think she's talking to Tyrion and she says something about like, you know, if all of, if all of the traumatic stuff hadn't happened to me, I wouldn't be this strong. And I just like, yeah, I hate that so much. I know. (laughs) Um, I know. Yeah. Because she does like, (sighs) oh, Sansa, she so, so, like, she starts out as a very, like, kind of typically traditionally feminine teenage girl, you know? Like, yeah. she wants um, what her society deems as, like, feminine wants. So, like, yeah. she wants to get married. She wants to have children. She wants to, you yeah. know, be, th- be this kind of... Um, this kind of like paragon of feminine uh, of femininity within her society um and then like uh like so like from a certain angle she sort of like s- gradually comes to see like how hollow that idea of right. femininity is but she also like it's almost like they throw out the baby with the bathwater <laughs> because uh-huh. she just like completely rejects any sense of like um any you know like the positive characteristics that we deem as sort of traditionally feminine because she also right. like 
um, you know, kind of, uh, she kind of rejects like any kind of like, uh, I don't know ex- exactly how to, how to like, what am I talking about? <laughs> she sort of like rejects that kind of like the, the sort of like nurturing and like, um, yeah, like more mm-hmm. compassionate qualities that we tend to associate with femininity as well as the, yeah. you know, as the, you know, possibly more negative aspects of it. And right. she, you know, becomes queen in the North, but like at what cost? <laughs> yeah, I see. I kind of see Sansa as a, like, as just a fearful reaction to the world she sees around her. Like, Mm -hmm. she becomes, she kind of finds her strength by removing that nurturing um, sense of self, right? right? She sees the world around her and she kind of decides okay this is what i need to do this is how i'm going to survive right. and she kind of goes into that survival mode with it um, right and i think at least in the beginning she finds her power that way um through that survival mode and look yeah. i i am in this world i am in this world as a female identifying um character and here's how i can access my power you know yeah it's so yeah like she kind of I think what what I was looking for was the like the words I was looking for was like she um she kind of regresses emotionally in a way like she rejects any sense of like emotionality and you know kind of like represses that and locks that away Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Which, I mean, is, you know, like, is kind of a realistic, like, response yeah. to trauma. Absolutely. But what, like, the problem that I have with it is that that is portrayed as strength. Right. And it is not. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that that's Sansa. Um, <laughs> and that is why so many of us have to work through so many things is that we're taught that it's strength, you know? We're taught that it's strong to not have emotion. Right. You know, and it's... Yeah. Anywho, I could talk about oh that for days. Gosh. Who else are we... Ooh, anyway. Daenerys. Um, mm. Okay. <sighs> I've been, you know, holding on to that for like three years. So... <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think, like, I mean, we could talk about Daenerys and Cersei, but I think Arya is really interesting to put into this conversation because she's sort of like, she from the beginning is rejecting any sense of traditional femininity, and yet yeah. we see her, we see Arya like in the final season where she kind of like starts to feel a kind of romantic interest and then ultimately rejects that because she has to be a girl boss. <laughs> right. 
Right, yeah. right, right. I don't know. I mean, I feel like that's a that's an okay choice for Arya because like I could totally see that, but like, yeah. uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think we could definitely say both are, both are mi- like, both are misguided by like the world around them. You know, it's a terrifying place. We don't want to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we might need to talk about Game of Thrones at some point. Do we have to? <laughs> I'm still talking about it. I still yeah. feel like I'm on. I feel like I yeah. need to rewatch it. Yeah. Like those first yeah, yeah. like three-ish seasons were so good. So good. I stopped. I didn't watch the end yeah. of it. I've never seen the end of it. And you. Yeah. Anyway. Let's move on. Anywho. <laughs> Moving on yeah. to quote John Oliver. Um, well, I mean, I think that's kind of, we kind of covered all of the examples that yeah. I had, I think. Um, I yeah. don't know. Um, oh, I did also, I do have an, so I have a note in here about how in books we, like, we see a lot more openness and a lot more flexibility beyond that binary. Um, and I think yeah. especially in like, um, in like fantasy fiction that is primarily written for and or marketed for women. Um, yeah. So like in my examples, I named like Twilight. <laughs> um <laughs> And yeah. the Winter Night Trilogy. But, um, and we can talk about those a little bit too. But I do also want to note um, that it's, ex- so like we've been talking about mostly white women. I think we need to note. Um, so it is extremely yes. rare to see a woman of color as a violent woman in mainstream media, like at all. Or just a woman of yeah. color in mainstream media at all. Um, yeah. And especially um, to see a woman of color as a violent woman, we don't see that unless she is an antagonist, which that's right. something we need to unpack as a society. Um, Absolutely. Or occasionally as a side character. So like a love interest. Yeah. Um, So like the Batman, which I don't know if you've seen the Batman yet. I've been saving it. I really really want to. Um, So we have like Selena in the Batman who is um, a side character or, you know, like some other role that's in support of the white and usually male protagonist. Um, So um, in, in those cases, like her status as a violent woman is kind of softened by the male protagonist being more violent. I'm thinking specifically of the Batman. Um, yeah. And I mean, this. I think this pattern is pretty true in a lot of media. Um, and or there's like some kind of event within the narrative in which um, even, even though she is a violent woman, she at some point needs protection from the male protagonist in some way. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and then also just to note that, so like in the cases of Yennefer in The Witcher and Alina in Shadow and Bone, which is like what started this whole 
<laughs> well, it started this whole thought yeah. process for me. So those characters in their TV series are played by actors of color, but they're white in their source material. So I don't know if we can really yeah. like, I mean, like in yeah. a sense, like, yes, like this is absolutely, you know, very important representation. Um, but of yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that don't know. <laughs> um, I just wanted to note that because, you know, I think that we very often, I mean, we are both white women and I think it's just so easy when we see ourselves represented, it, you know, everywhere, like it's easy to forget that like, that's not the norm for everyone. So yeah. Yeah. Um, just wanted to note that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. But if we wanted to like end on like a lighter note as we wrap up, we can talk a little bit more about um, some other works that do kind of break that pattern. Um, yeah. And that let their female protagonists actually, you know, be happy and powerful. <laughs> um, so we have talked about, well, the Hunger Games, I, I would say that, like, I don't know. I think that, like, Katniss um, gives up her, she kind of gives up being a violent woman. Um, but she does so, like... Like, it's a good, it's it's framed as a good thing that she does that because yeah. she was never voluntarily a violent woman, if that makes sense. Like, even though, like, she did yeah. volunteer as tribute, but, like, it was always the- framed as, like, um, like, it's traumatic that she had to be put into the position of being a violent yeah. woman. So... Yeah, I think that's it's a little bit it's a little bit of a different pattern, I think, from what we're typically top talking about here. I agree. She's very much in that survival mm-hmm. mode, right? Like she has to survive somehow. Yeah. Um. So there was this other um, another quote from Neroni's book that um I was wanting to talk about, um, and it didn't quite fit anywhere, but I still want to talk about it. So, <laughs> so, yeah. um, when she says the violent woman, for example, provokes traumatic moments that are more difficult than most to symbolize violence functions primarily within these ideas of cl- complementarity. So this idea of women and men on this binary and being compliments to one another um, insofar as men are violent and women are spectators and guarantors of violence. When women react with violence toward the loss or threatened loss of their femininity, they do not regain their femininity, but instead position themselves even further from that femininity and their complementary relationship with masculinity. Wow. Right. As like she's so smart. Um but I think that yeah. again like with Katniss we can kind of see so like her 
Um, so like the loss or threatened loss of their femininity. So we can kind of see that as like when her sister, when her sister's name is called to be put into the Hunger Games, I think we can kind of see that as like the threatened loss of Katniss's femininity because she is so nurturing and mother mothering like toward her sister. And so she, um, so she reacts, essentially she reacts with violence to that threatened loss by saying, I will go into the hunger games. I will enact violence on other human beings to, protect you know this person who i love and who in a symbolic sense (laughs) is a symbol of her femininity um and we see that like this holds true for her this quote holds true for her because she um because it says instead or they instead position themselves even further from that femininity so katniss like even though she does retain like that kind of instinct to protect and to nurture, she does like, you know, like eventually we see that like she like suffers trauma because of the, um, because of the violence that she has to do and that she witnesses and, and, you know, kind of furthers herself um, away from that, like, kind of feminine core of her identity um until you know she eventually regains it at the end of you know at the very end of the series she regains that but um yeah very very interesting i the hunger games is really great and i don't think that i I don't think we talk about it enough And I don't, I think it kind of gets, it kind of falls into that, like, people always want to dismiss YA, too, but I really. Like, oh, it's a love triangle. No, no. No, it's more than that. (laughs) It's a lot more than that. It's a lot more than that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But uh, speaking of YA, um, I am contractually obligated to mention Twilight. (laughs) Sure. Um, Sure. So, yeah. So, like, this is really interesting, too, because, so, do you remember what happens in Twilight, Erin? (laughs) What happens to Bella at the end of of the Twilight series? (laughs) At the end, at the end, like, at the end of the whole series. The end of the whole, um, yeah. No, I don't. You don't remember? Okay. No. So what happens is that, so like when Bella becomes a vampire, so like all every vampire has powers in this universe, yeah. right? So when she becomes a vampire, she discovers her power. And throughout the last book, Breaking Dawn, she like grows in her power and she develops it. Um, And then, like, you know, they have their, like, the main conflict of the book um, happens. And then, like, when that's over, Bella still has her power. She's still growing in power. And she also has a, a husband and a child 
these wow. very, you know, symbolic markers of traditional femininity. Yeah. Like, she has everything. Like, Oh, that's great. She, yeah. So, like, thank you for acknowledging that Twilight is the most feminist series ever. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I think that that is, like, it... <sighs> It's definitely, it, like with Jupiter Ascending, like it's definitely a, like a female power fantasy, right? Yeah. Like it lets her, it lets Bella be like all of the things that women aspire to be. She doesn't have to choose between one or the other, you know? Yeah. Um, and, like, I think it's really interesting um, that in stories that allow female protagonists to do that, um, like, you know, I, as I kind of alluded to before, like, it's usually in media that is, you know, kind of made for women um, and... Uh, in the case of Twilight, like, for sure, it's the these works are often very much derided, not just by men, but kind of like by the general public. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know. I think uh, I think most dudes are kind of OK with the Hunger Games. But yeah, uh, but I don't know. Yeah, know. it's just anyway. interesting. That whole <laughs> thing is just so interesting. Like, yeah, which books and which stories are, like, acceptable and which ones do we all feel the need to mock or make fun of? Right. It's a whole other, like... Yeah. It's just interesting what gets to be a good book and what doesn't. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well... We're nigh on an hour and a half here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I I just want everyone to read the Winter Night Trilogy, please. Sure. Um, but also, again, this is a series of books. And I, as far as I know, they're not even, like, considering an adaptation. Although, I mean... <laughs> right. Um, but uh, this is, like... I mean, I think I've mentioned before, this is, like, my favorite fantasy yeah. series of all time. And the uh, the female protagonist ends this series having retained and even, like, kind of grown in her... Like, she kind of starts out as, like, an Arya Stark, honestly. Okay. And then she kind of, like, gradually learns to accept, like, feminine aspects of her personality and she also like you know, it falls in love with a, uh, with an immortal um, winter and death god. So Excellent. that's fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So please read the Winter Night trilogy. <laughs> I will. I'll add it to my TBR. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm not gonna read Wheel of Time, but. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> I'm not going to stop trying. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, I think we can, we can wrap up, right? 
I really I have loved that. this whole conversation. This yeah. Yes. Thank you for indulging me. This. Thank you for thinking of this. This is brilliant, man. <laughs> yes. All right. And happy we... birthday, dear Rhonda. Yay! Thank you. We have to come up with a... I still need a better title for this. Yeah. We'll, we can workshop it. We'll workshop it. <laughs> okay. Well, listeners, if you're still here, um, oh, wow. they will be. Okay. They will be. <laughs> um, yeah. I. W- this is an interesting, uh, discussion. If this is your first episode. <laughs> you've ever listened to then you're welcome you're welcome you are um welcome. let us know what you think like yeah. find us you can find us on instagram like leave us a comment or yeah i think anchors or spotify i think is still letting you send in like voice messages yeah absolutely yeah um yeah, yeah. we want to hear from you absolutely we do yeah um thank you well yeah thanks everyone and have a lovely night and a pleasant tomorrow it's gonna be may (laughs) yay may oh no 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 i forgot we don't support justin timberlake so instead of it's gonna be may we say um it's uh it's just wait just so just so typically may that's that's right absolutely just so, so typically, typically may, may. perfect yeah. perfect oh, baby baby okay so Perfection. um britney is free yes and um but you know we still need to raise awareness around like people who are victims of conservatorships yeah. as absolutely britney spears was um absolutely (laughs) this is very very serious um yeah okay that's anyway um it's i'm hungry so (laughs) yeah thank you so much friends and happy birthday Rhonda. thank you goodbye goodbye so long